Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're talking about the Xbox Series launch, PS5 impressions in the launch, and the Apple One More Thing event. Starting off with topic number one. The Xbox Series X and S launched on Tuesday, November the 10th. Um, yeah, there was, I guess, some interest in videos that popped up. A lot of people had problems, I guess, even getting their Xbox started. There were some videos of smoke blowing at the top of Xboxes. You know, people's fans were making weird noises and... You know, there's all kinds of controversy going around the Xbox Series X and its launch. What uh what are your impressions as an Xbox fanboy? Does this kind of does this hurt you on the inside? Does this hurt your soul to see Xbox like this? <laughs> so yeah, some of the stuff was actually really interesting. I mean, every launch I think Xbox Live went down um for a bit, which is kinda strange. I would imagine that Microsoft would have planned for that but it looks like they, they didn't even have that plan for in terms of how many people were looking to set up their Xboxes at once. Um, so there was a few hours where people couldn't set up their Xbox because Xbox Live was just down, um, which is unfortunate. But um, a lot of the other news, you know, I think is, is a little funny. Um, with the smoke, it seems like uh, even Xbox responded to this, actually. They yeah. <laughs> Please don't blow vape smoke. Yeah, it's like, I'm just, we can't believe we have to actually tweet this, but please don't yeah. blow vape smoke into your Xbox. I guess people were either blowing it into their Xbox or setting it up so that it would funnel through their Xbox. And it literally looked like a chimney, the smoke coming out yeah. the top of it. Which, so... Two things. Right before this podcast started, I said, hey, if I had an Xbox Series X and a vape pen, I would blow some Because <laughs> it looks real cool uh, when it happens. But even like when the reviews and you know the thermals for the Xbox Series X, before the console actually came out, there was a lot of concern that the console might be getting too hot, people being really dramatic and talking about how, oh, the memory card was too hot, that they dropped it and stuff like that. Turned out that that wasn't the case. It's perfectly fine. But when you do see thermal cameras of how heat is being distributed through the Xbox Series X, it actually looks very similar to the marketing materials that Xbox gave uh, way back when about how it was going to funnel air through. So it was going to take cold air from the bottom um, if it's standing vertically and funnel it out the top. And you can actually see it with a the thermal camera that at the bottom, the, the air, the console is really cool. And then as the heat rises, because obviously heat rises, mm -hmm. um, it gets hotter and hotter towards the top exhaust fan. And it almost looks like a funnel um, in terms of how the heat is dissipating um, or how the air is actually heating up and going out and exhausting out the top, which looks really cool. And then when you see the actual smoke funnel through it, it's like, wow, their actual design and the, the marketing material that they put for this console isn't, wasn't just like fancy you know, CG shots, which it was, it was CG, but it wasn't just that. It was also based on facts of how the console deals with heat. And I think it's just really cool engineering. Um, so yeah, I would definitely pull into an Xbox Series X if I could. I think Xbox missed a huge marketing opportunity. They should have hopped on the vape smoke bandwagon and actually blown, shown it blowing into the bottom of their Xbox and being funneled out the top. I think that would have been... Yeah. That would have been a great commercial, but, you know, maybe next console, Xbox. Maybe, and maybe, you know, what could be even cooler is if there's ever a, uh, an Atomic Purple or some kind of see-through version of the Xbox Series X. Ooh. Which would just to blow smoke into it more because then we could actually see it going through the console. <laughs> <laughs> and exhausting out the top. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess one interesting thing about the launch of Xbox, you mentioned how Xbox Live was down. Um so when the Xbox shipped and you set it up in your, let's say, your home system, you couldn't actually play the Xbox fresh out of the box. You had to download, you had to connect to Xbox Live and then download an update for it in order to play games. And I guess because there was obviously the first day it launches, the first opportunity people have to play their Xbox, there's going to be a lot of people hitting that server. And 
like you said, it's surprising that I guess they didn't prepare for this or they didn't prepare for the demand of people logging on to the server to download the update. But it's also kind of surprising that they would ship the console knowing that you needed to update it before you could even play it. So because so many people were trying to update their Xbox on day one, the server crashed. People weren't able to actually play their Xbox. So it's kind of like, in my mind, it makes a lot more sense to ship a console ready to go that you don't have to update at all. So I just kind of, you know, surprised to see that they still ship a console that you can't even play. Like if you're somewhere, let's say, that doesn't have a good enough internet connection to download it, or maybe it takes you longer to download, maybe you don't even have internet. Honestly, for me, it wasn't that big of a of a shock. I mean, Xbox was constantly, throughout the whole process leading up to launch, they gave out a lot of consoles to people to try out. And as they were trying out, more and more features were being added every day. And there was the constant narrative that things would get better, like more backwards compatible games would be added and all these things once the day one update comes. So I think it was always it always seemed like that was inevitable, that there would be uh, a day one update. And when it comes to consoles nowadays, that's just the reality. Like, there is a situation, whether it's a Switch, whether it's a PlayStation, whether it's an Xbox, at any point in time, there could be a situation where you get a game, you put it in and it says, well, you can't play this game because your console isn't updated to the right version. You have to update your console first. And that used to be a very real thing that happened. Um, Now it doesn't because most people have their consoles attached to the internet all the time. Um, so we don't notice it as much anymore. But, I mean, if we go back to a time when, you know, we didn't have the internet, but we'd still have these current consoles, console updates would be something that would be absolutely necessary. And I, it's, it's a shame, because I do see the benefit of having a console that can be completely offline. But I just don't think that that's, that's a reality that, that's possible anymore. Especially, you know, one thing that both Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo have taken very, very seriously is piracy over the past few years, and the easiest way to combat piracy is with always connected consoles. What I think it really shows is that the Xbox One was the worst advertising for a console ever. The way they marketed that console, the way they uh, explained how that console would work to people was just stupid, as opposed to just keeping their mouth shut and and launching a console um, the way they did with the Series X and just talking about the good things and not talking about the negatives. Um, that kind of doomed that console uh, with the Xbox One. And it, it just goes to show, like, yeah, these new consoles need to be just as connected as the original concept for the Xbox One needed to be. But because it's, there's just not a big marketing push behind the fact that it's always on or always connected or because there isn't that much conversation about it, it doesn't seem like that big of an issue um, as it would have if it was a part of the conversation from the beginning. But, you know, that being said, any time a console launches, there's always going to be some, some, you know, headaches that you have to get past and things are going to get better as time goes on. One thing I will say is that the Xbox launch did seem to go a lot better better than most launches seem to go. Like, there's usually a situation where, um, and we'll talk about Apple in a second, but especially with Apple, you know, you always hear about the the gate of the year, like the the problem that everyone's going to complain about about the phone. That's not really a problem, but it's just going to be made a big situation of just because it's it's a popular product. Both Sony and Microsoft seem to avoid, seem to have avoided that this, this year. Um, and with this launch, which I think is really impressive. I don't know. Vapegate seems like a pretty big thing. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> like we can get that trend in. Probably not too late. Yeah, too late. Do you have anything else to say about Xbox launch? No, I think it was a it was an okay launch. Not a lot of games um, to kind of get excited about right now, but hopefully that'll change. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think. We've seen so much of it for the past few months, there really isn't anything new. Let's transition to our next topic, the PlayStation 5 launch. Now, you talked a bit about marketing for Xbox. Personally, I would say PlayStation definitely won the marketing competition, if there was one, for this generation. Well, first of all, their main commercial was narrated by Travis Scott. They have this whole 
launch trailer with Travis Scott playing it, they gave this system to people like, aside from your regular like YouTubers, Michael B. Jordan playing PlayStation 5 before launch and talking about, you know, I love this system so much. I was born with a PlayStation controller in my hand. And even the feature game, Miles Morales, right? Spider-Man Miles Morales. The soundtrack was done by Boy Wanda, Drake's, like, one of Drake's most popular producers, right? So it seems like a lot of what PlayStation is trying to, I guess, capitalize on is the cool factor of the system. At least from what I've seen, they're going to the bigger celebrities, the bigger names that people are going to be attracted to. And it's almost like, oh, wow, that person's playing PlayStation. I want to play PlayStation 2. And that cool aspect, I would say, kind of goes into the design of the system, too. You know, Xbox is, like we said, it's a very like utilitarian. It's a very simple design. Whereas PlayStation, they probably could have gone a more simple design. They could have gone with, you know, an angular box like they did for the PlayStation 4. But this is a very out there design for this system, like a very attention grabbing system. Mm-hmm. So I guess, how do you feel about PlayStation's launch, about how things are going, I guess, a, a few days into the next generation. So that's that's interesting, because when you mentioned that originally about the advertising, um, I didn't know any of those things. Like, I, I didn't see any of the Michael B. Jordan or the Boy Wonder stuff, um, but probably because, like, I, I, I don't know. I just didn't see a lot of that stuff. I saw a lot of the basic stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff like that. So it, it didn't really hit me. Honestly, both of these consoles on me didn't really sell me. Just because I, there is, really isn't anything that I want to play on them right now. That, that will probably change. But you're absolutely right when it comes to just the marketing of PlayStation brand in general. Like the PlayStation brand is such a huge brand. It's been around for a long time, even longer than Xbox. I think 26 um, years, I think. Yeah, and and... Like, even the other day, my brother came up to me. He's like, I want a PlayStation 5. I don't know why. He doesn't play video games at all. But it just reaches that number of people. It's cool. Um, yeah, like, like PlayStation is cool. It's, it's, and I don't know what, per se, makes it just the brand idea, makes it better than Xbox or better than Nintendo if it is, or PC or anything like that. I don't know. It doesn't kind of reach that for me. The one thing I will give PlayStation... Um, and the launch uh, that they have here is the games. They did the launch games perfectly. There's no knack this this launch. Like there's no uh, <laughs> stupid game. I mean, that, bug snacks. Well, yeah, bug snacks. I guess that's that's third party. So, but yeah, there there's. But at the end of the day, they have Demon Souls. They have uh, Miles Morales. They have Sackboy's Big Adventure. They have. Um, Astro Bot or whatever. Astro's Playroom. Astro's Playroom. They have um, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops is out today, but I think that's both consoles. I'm pretty sure yeah. it is. But coming from just Sony themselves, like they they hit they hit it out of the park in terms of games for everybody. Miles Morales can be played by anybody. Um, Sackboy can be played by anybody, but it's you know can skew closer to the to the younger age. So if you have a kid. And you want to get Call of Duty for you, you can get Sackboy for your kid or, or Miles Morales for your kid. Um, and then, you know, if you're just the most uh, hardcore of hardcore gamer and, and you love Souls games, there's Demon Souls for you right there at launch. Um, so, yeah, I think they hit it perfectly. Usually console launches are bad and the games are, are pretty terrible. It was like that for the PlayStation 4. I remember PlayStation 4 had... Uh, the Order 1866, Knack, and and Shadowfall. All three of them, not good games. Okay <laughs> games, but not good. Um, Killzone Shadowfall I had a lot of fun with in the, in the multiplayer, but it was the single player was boring as hell to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Knack is not my type of game, but I know it didn't appeal to a lot of people. And I don't even know if the Order 1866 was a launch game. It might have not been. It might have been a little bit after launch. But even that game was not good. Um, so, yeah, I think especially compared to the Xbox Series X, they hit it out the park in terms of launch games, which kind of 
legitimizes the excitement around PlayStation 5. Yeah. So my question is, like, you've had a chance to use the PlayStation 5. You have one. You've played it. What is, like, your impressions and your review of the console? Because I haven't got a chance to touch it yet. I haven't even got a chance to see or use the Xbox Series X. This is, like, the first impression of next-gen. Um, and, you know, you play PlayStation 4 pretty frequently. What's the transition like from PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5? The biggest thing that I've noticed right now is the controller. Uh, like, right now, I'm editing my unboxing video for YouTube, but it's definitely different when you hold the controller in your hand. Yeah. But it's also familiar, which I guess, obviously, it's it's the same general design. They've just made it bigger in some areas, like a little bit heavier also. So I guess it's more uh, it's more solid in your hand. But the controller definitely makes a difference. And I haven't... I've been playing Spider-Man Miles Morales, and I haven't noticed anything with the adaptive triggers yet. But okay. in terms of the rumble, it's definitely different right now. Even in terms of, like... In the cutscenes where he's swinging on a web, right? Like when he has his, when he shoots his right hand, the right side rumbles a bit. When he shoots his left, the left side rumbles, and it goes like back and forth like that. So even though you're not doing anything, you feel it happening to you. So that's actually a, a really big question that I had, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something I always wanted to know. I really like um, HD rumble on the mm -hmm. Switch. Um, we've both played Pokemon. Uh, one of the coolest things in Pokemon Sun and Moon is uh, I play it in handheld all the time. Sorry, not Sun and Moon, Sword and Shield. Mm -hmm. I play it in handheld mode all the time, and I usually play it with the sound off. But the cool thing is when you go into a raid, um, and like all those explosions and stuff happen, yeah, the rumble of the switch happens in tune, almost like the sound is rumbling through your hands. It's yeah, you can um, hear it. Yeah, you can yeah. hear it and feel it. Like it's a really cool feature, uh, even though the sound is off. Like you, you can, you're absolutely feeling and hearing what's going on in the game. Does the DualSense controller feel like that? I've heard a lot of people say that it's even better than HD Rumble on the Switch. What's like your take on it? I haven't experienced anything like that yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the reviews I'd gotten before this, the system launched, right? They mm -hmm. said. The new Rumble features are amazing. The best example of that is Astro's Playroom because it was a it's a it's a game designed specifically to show that off. What I had heard was that Spider Man uses it a bit, and I think we may have talked this talked about this in our last podcast. It uses it a bit, but because it's a cross generation game, they don't design as much into it. Yeah. So I haven't experienced anything that game changing except for. You know, like the the right and left, you know, swinging side to side a bit and some of the fights I've noticed it, but nothing that groundbreaking, nothing that dramatic yet. After I play Spider-Man, I'll go and try Astro's Playroom and then I'll, I'll have, I guess, a better idea of, you know, the advanced haptic feedbacks and the adaptive trigger and everything. But at the moment, I haven't noticed that much of a difference yet. Um the graphics are amazing. Mm, graphics are amazing cool. on it. I'm still playing on a 1080p screen. I don't even have a 4K screen. And I yeah. notice how amazing Spider-Man looks. Like, we were talking about how great, I guess, The Last of Us Part 2 looked. Yeah. This is, like, five steps above that. Which is nuts because that's a cross-gen game. Like it's for PS4 and PS5. Mm -hmm. If they can do that with a cross-gen game, imagine what they're going to do with like completely next-gen games. And I've been hearing that a lot about um, Godfall and uh, uh, Demon Souls. Mm -hmm. That they look fantastic. That they look uh, amazing-looking games. Which is good to see because that's another thing that you don't usually get on launch. You don't usually get good-looking games on launch. And we mentioned this when we were talking about Halo. Um, you know how normally games don't look very good when they come when you know a console launches but it seems like once again sony is kind of shifting that trend where they have very good looking games at launch and very good games in general at launch. and yeah like spider-man is a cross-generation game and it still looks so good so whenever they come out with an whatever the next spider-man or a next the next sony exclusive game maybe two years from now where it's just designed for the playstation 5 like, how good is that going to look? And even, 
once I get a 4K screen, right? I'm playing on a 1080p gaming monitor. Once I have a 4K screen, how good is Spider-Man going to look? And then how good is that PlayStation 5 exclusive going to look? So it's I'm excited for this generation, obviously, but I'm excited to see how far they can take it, how far they can push it. And then even that being said, near the end of this generation, right? Yeah. When they have, okay, we've had six, seven years developing games for this. Last of Us Part 4, maybe. Who knows? That will be lifelike yeah. at that point. Well, so th- that's an interesting thing because you've played and beat Last of Us Part 2. Um, there's the confirmation that The Last of Us Part 2 on PS5 is going to support adaptive triggers and um, the DualSense rumble features. Will that kind of interest you in playing the game again definitely definitely interest me in playing the game again i think we kind of talked about this in the last podcast too right as soon as as soon as they started talking about oh you know adaptive triggers when you're pulling a bow and arrow back or you know if you're shooting a gun and it jams everyone's like oh yeah just like in last of us part two so whenever and it may be out now you know in the ps plus collection there's a bunch of games available i know last of us part one is there I'm not sure if Last of Us Part 2 is there yet, but whenever it is available to play, I'm going to play. That's an interesting thing because, yeah, Last of Us Part 2 was left out of the um, the PlayStation collection. And it makes me wonder, are they going to just release a whole new version of Last of Us Part 2 um, completely remastered for the PlayStation 5? And, you know, part of me says, well, you know, just put it in PlayStation collection because, you know, it's cheaper that way. But Last of Us Part Two was already such a amazing looking game. To have the Naughty Dog put the time in to make a PS5 version, I would personally be fine with them reselling that. Um, even though I, I know a lot of the narrative around this generation is if you bought the game once, you only have to, you don't have to buy it again. You can just upgrade it. But yeah, there's, there's just something about that game that if it fully embraces the PlayStation 5 controller and graphics and power and all that, it could be a really cool experience um, that already shocked people when it came out on PS4. Yeah, I could see them definitely reselling it, like reselling a remastered version. And even then, like Christmas is just around the corner. I could see them doing a Last of Us Part 2 remastered bundle. You have... Everyone wants an all-black PlayStation. They have an all-black PlayStation 5, all Last of Us Part 2 themed. I could definitely see that happening soon. That, that I think, would be really good on their part because they did that with the PS4 as well when they did the Last of Us yep. uh, remastered the PlayStation 4 bundle. Yep. So, yeah, that makes sense. Now, you did mention there about uh, the color possibly changing mm-hmm. um, with future versions down the line. How do you feel about now that you have it in person, sitting, you know, there playing it? How do you feel about the design of the PlayStation 5? I love the design of it. When they first did the reveal and I saw the design, I was like, that looks crazy and wild, but I like the design. Now, I mentioned this in the unboxing, like, it's a big system. And the thing is, you know, we've seen reviews, we've seen other people unbox, and they're like, oh, man, this is a big system. And I mentioned... Once you see it next to a PlayStation 4, that you can appreciate how big it is. But even then, taking it out of the box, it's like, this This is huge. Yeah. Like, this is a big system. It's a heavy system. And you don't, you can't really appreciate it until you see it in person and you hold it in person. Right? Like, other people's videos will give you an idea. But there should be, like, a PlayStation service. Or maybe they don't care if people know how big it is. But there should be a service where you can go into a mall, you pick up a PlayStation 4, and then you pick up a PS5. And it's like, damn, this is big. Yeah. But the design of it, I think it looks great. Especially how they went with... And obviously everyone would prefer a black system, but how they went with the white and black, like two very contrasting colors. Yeah. And even like a matte white and a glossy black. And it's kind of... It's that color scheme is throughout all of their accessories, which I really like too. It it's a whole like motif it has going on, but yeah, I think it looks a lot better than just a black box. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like, and I've seen that through your unboxing videos of all the accessories, like that attention to detail of having the the pattern 
yeah. on all the accessories of the, the square, the circle, the triangle, and the X, um, the PlayStation buttons. And they've done that across the board. It's clear that they really embraced the design of the PlayStation 5. And yeah. Just putting it in everything. That attention to detail, as someone who bought the stuff, it's I appreciate it a lot. I guess maybe most people won't even notice that, but... I guess as someone who saw it and was looking for it, I kind of every every accessory that I unboxed, I was kind of like hoping for it and looking for it and kind of be like, I really hope they put it on this accessory. I really hope I can find where it is. And it was there. It would have been disappointing if like, I don't know, if the remote and the controller had it and then the headphones, it's like, oh, you guys didn't put the little you know, that little texture pattern on the headphones too. But the fact that it's on all of their first party accessories is kind of, it's a nice little touch. So I think this, this goes down because we spoke briefly about the Xbox, um, the Xbox launch, but we spoke so much more about the PS5 launch. And I think that just goes to show. So usually when a console manufacturer does really well in the previous generation, they tend to get a little cocky and, and, you know, really kind of, we saw this with the PlayStation 2 to the PlayStation 3, where the PlayStation 2 was is the most successful console of all time, and the PlayStation 3 comes out, and they're like, yeah, you know, it's it's seven hundred, six hundred, eight hundred dollars. You'll you'll get a second job to buy it. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we saw this with the Xbox 360 going to Xbox One, where you know Xbox 360 was wildly successful, did a great job, made a ton of money for Microsoft, and then the Xbox One comes out, and you know the hashtag deal with it comes out with it being always online and stuff like that this shows that sony did not rest on their laurels going from playstation 4 to playstation 5 playstation 4 was wildly successful and they came out with the playstation 5 embracing the playstation brand with these easter eggs and this this attention to detail on the consoles they came out with with launch games that are really good they did not try to say, okay, we did so good with the PlayStation 5, we don't need to take this as, as seriously, or we can up the price, or we can do all these extra things that are anti-consumer. Um, they really just did, they made the best console they could, and they put it out there, and I think they did a fantastic job. And I think that's going to that's gonna show in sales. Like, I, I don't think the Xbox uh, series is going to do poor, as poorly as the Xbox One did. But yeah, I still think this is this is Sony's... This is a win for Sony in terms of the launch of both of the consoles. They did a great job. Um, and, you know, as for the look, I, I agree with you. I think the, the console, I haven't seen it in person, but the console looks different and cool. Um, I'm personally more partial to small consoles. Like, my favorite consoles of all time are, like, the GameCube and the Wii, which are very <laughs> small consoles. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, d- despite that, I think the, the design language of the console and all the accessories is really cool, kind of alien-looking. Um, and I think they did a good job with it. I would definitely have appreciated a smaller console, right? If the design was the same and the, cons- the console was like, I don't know, two-thirds of the size, I would have picked that over this one. Mm-hmm. But I guess in one review I heard of it, is uh, it's kind of like a conversation starter, right? Yeah. Because it's so big, it's kind of something you can't really tuck away. Most people, I'm assuming, are going to have it kind of like out either on their TV stand or like on a table right next to their TV, something like that, or maybe just underneath their TV. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like when you have someone over and they walk in and to your living room and it's like, Oh man, what's that? It's like, Oh yeah. It's the you know, new, pl- well, I'm assuming they don't know what a PlayStation five is. It's a, it's like a centerpiece of a living room or of a TV room or of wherever you have it. Right. Yeah people are going to walk in and they're going to notice it. Whereas, and this isn't like necessarily a knock against the Xbox. It's, you know, if you walk into, if someone's room has an Xbox that either, even if it's not tucked away, it's kind of just out in the open. It's, oh, that looks like a smart speaker or something. Yeah. Right. That looks like a modem or not even. Yeah. I don't know. It's which I personally love. Like I love the designs of the Xbox series S and X. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I'm much more on that side, but I agree with you. Like it, it's not, it's, it fades into the background. It's not something that really catches your eye at all. Um, whereas the PlayStation, it's going to, it's going to be a question. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like the same thing of like, you know, if you get a gold iPhone, like that's going to be a question as opposed to if you just get the black version or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think two things. One, it was a great job on their part, but two, it only makes the idea of what colors and special editions can come with the PS5 even more exciting. Um, Cause there's so much surface area that you can kind of play around with and that design can lend so much ideas of what you can do with that console, which I think is going to be really cool. Okay, so I had uh, another uh, quick question for you. Um, well, actually, two. One is what orientation do you have the console, vertical or horizontal? And then the second one is, so far, what's your favorite thing about the console um, as you've used it and you know, since you've gotten it? Uh, I have it vertically right now. Oh, nice. My favorite thing about the console... I don't know. Can I say Miles Morales, the game? Yeah. Like, is that, <laughs> that's my, like, that's, I got it. I set it up. I hooked up the accessories. One thing I really like that they haven't gotten to use too much yet is the media remote. And this is kind of, so, you know, we talked a bit about the Xbox One, right? And they're saying, you know, it's, it's the center of your entertainment system. You can hook up your TV to it. You can hook up your cable to it you know, all this stuff. And people are like, why would I want to do that? This media remote is kind of the same thing because they have your streaming buttons built into it. They have a button for Disney plus Netflix for YouTube. It's almost like what Xbox one was trying to do, but instead of having it linked to your TV or your cable box, it's now linked to your streaming services. And I think this is really just, because people have transitioned to using streaming services more, right? More and more people are just watching stuff on Netflix and, and Disney plus, as opposed to like dedicated TV packages. And I think it's just a result of the time. And I think this is going to be very useful, especially if you have your PlayStation on like the main TV in your house to say, and I want to launch Disney plus you just grab the media remote for your PlayStation, or you, you could just use, your regular controller and launch Disney plus that way. But for someone who does have a media remote and you have it hooked up to your main TV, you can, you don't even need to touch your PlayStation controller. You can grab the remote, hit Disney plus, and it will turn on your PlayStation and launch into Disney plus right away. That's My, what I was going to ask you. Cause I remember seeing that in your unboxing video. Yeah. You mentioned that even if the console was asleep, you could just press that button and it'll launch into the app. So that actually, actually no, works. I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to try it right now. Let's see. It's turning on. And, man, the glow of the LEDs looks so nice. Yeah. Too. It's turning on. Can you hear the fan? Uh, No. And it's launched into Disney Plus. So you just one button. One button. Will launch. Yeah. That's see. So that's that's cool. So it's it, they they're doing. So you mentioned though the fan. Was it the fan audible on the uh, console? Starting up, it's audible. And now that Disney Plus is open, it's off. Ah, mm. uh, okay. When I first put in Spider Man, I put it in. It obviously started reading the disc, and you know. Um, installing it, the fan was audible. Once it was done installing, I couldn't hear it anymore. So when it first became audible, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of worried. Like, it's going to be a loud system. But I guess after it's done the heavy processing, the fan is off. So two big things I think uh, you mentioned there. So one, we both have PlayStation 4s. We both know how loud they are. That seems to be a thing of the past, which a lot of people were saying in the reviews. But you mentioned, like, when I asked you what your favorite thing uh, was with the console and you said Miles Morales. Yes. That's so important because, you know, is, I love, I love, I, I want an Xbox Series X at some point. I'm planning on getting one. But if you ask anyone who has an Xbox right now, chances are they're not going to say their favorite thing about a console is a specific game. They're probably going to say quick resume or, or, you know, loading times or something like that. But reality is these are game consoles. The best things about them should be the games that you're playing, and that is the case with PlayStation, um, PlayStation Five, which I think is such a cool thing because that's so rare in terms of a launch of a console. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of why the launch is so successful is because they have a game like this. One of my favorite games for PlayStation 4 was a Spider-Man game. So the yeah. fact that they have a Spider-Man game to launch to this system, there's so many people who are going to be excited for this because it's Spider-Man. You know, yeah. Spider-Man is such a great franchise in terms of like TV, movies, gaming. It's such a great franchise that the fact that you're able to launch a system with this is a huge deal. Yeah, so I would say my favorite part of the PlayStation right now is Spider-Man because that's really all I've done with the PlayStation so far. Ask me maybe in like a week or a month what my favorite part is. Maybe it's the the media remote, right? The fact that I can launch the system into Disney Plus, into Netflix. And I guess the thing too is like the reason I say Disney Plus the Mandalorian is out right now. So my TV doesn't have like a Disney plus app. So it's kind of like, if I want to watch it on my TV, I have to get it on my laptop. I have to hook up the HDMI to my laptop, to the TV, and then I can watch it that way. But I don't really have a way of controlling it. If I want to pause it, I have to, you know, get up and, oh, okay, let me hit pause on my laptop so I can pause it. Even though that's not that big of a deal, it's more work than just using the remote. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Disney Plus being built into the PlayStation and having a remote for it makes is going to make is going to be very convenient for me watching stuff in the future. All the more reason Switch should have had media apps. Should have had? It should have had. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> media apps. Like it doesn't have Netflix, it doesn't have Disney Plus, it doesn't have anything. Wait, what Switch? doesn't the Switch? Switch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been out for so long and it does, still doesn't have any of those things, which is which is weird because you could get you could get uh, Netflix. I'm pretty sure on the Wii U. Yeah, hey, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense, and especially like the Switch. Obviously, it's for all ages, but in terms of like comparing a Switch to like an Xbox, let's say, it's definitely more for kids. Yeah. So the fact that you don't have Netflix. Or Disney Plus is kind of like, why not? Uh, anything else for the PlayStation 5? Any other questions? Any other comments? Uh, so, no, I'm actually just really excited to see how this kind of progresses. And you mentioned, like, what your favorite thing might be in a month or so. I'm hoping that in a month or so you say your favorite thing is Cyberpunk 2077 because I convinced you to play it. But we'll see. <laughs> if it comes out before 2077. <laughs> so true. Also, everyone wants a play. At least everyone that I hear of wants a PlayStation Five and wants to play Miles Morales. To the fact that, like, I have friends who are saying, "Man, I can't believe you actually opened it. You should have resold your PlayStation. You would have made so much money." It's like, yeah, but I actually want to play these games. Like, yeah, it's like there's. I can imagine the you know the parents out there. Where it's like their kid really wants PlayStation for their birthday or for Christmas. And usually you're thinking, okay, yeah, last year I just went to the store and bought a Nintendo Switch. Like, yeah, I'll just do it this year. Little do they know it's completely pre-orders sold out. As soon as it launched and they launched more pre or more orders sold out instantly. Like your kid may have a bad Christmas because you didn't get them a PlayStation 5. So... Well, so that's that's an interesting thing you brought up, and I'll just mention this quickly because I don't want to go on another rant. But, <laughs> but um, you know, like this this is very common for for consoles right now. Everything's sold out for the longest time. Switches were sold sold out. Um, as someone who even got a PS4 when it was sold out, uh, I got it, tried to get it on launch, and it came like three months later. Um, it's not that big of a deal, honestly. <laughs> just wait. Yeah, it's if, not that big of a deal. It right now, it, well. It's not that big of a deal um, in terms of like Sony's situation and stuff like that. Like, sure, there might be some some like production issues and stuff like that, which can happen. Like, obviously, the times right now things are going to be more difficult. But also, I mean, even if you say, okay, uh, I want to get this console, but I can't get it this month or I can't get it next month, just relax. Eventually, you'll get it. Eventually, it'll be in stock, and eventually, it'll be everywhere. Um, kind of like you know switches are now or playstation 4s or anything like that it always starts out like this it's not really any situation to get a headache about try and uh, tell that to a 12 year old 
for their birthday. Well, it's a learning opportunity, all right? You know, <laughs> 12, maybe you'll get one when you're 13. If you can continue complaining about it, maybe you'll never get one. <laughs> <laughs> Great parenting advice. <laughs> uh, okay, on to our final topic of the day. On Tuesday, the same date the Xbox launched, Apple had their One More Thing event. Now, we were talking about this for months. Yeah. I think our first episode of the podcast, we may have talked about this. Um, well, no, we, well, sorry, the first episode we talked about WWDC, and they mentioned they were going to have their own silicone. We yeah. talked about the PS5 versus the Xbox and the Pixel yeah. 4a. So it's all come full circle. Full circle. Um, so this is Apple's last event of the year. They announced we're having our we're producing our own silicone for our Macs. They came out with the M1 chip. We were thinking, you know, A14 ZX, but it kind of makes sense that they start with the M1. Yeah. Um, they threw a lot of numbers on the board. Three times better than this. Eight times better than this. Eight core GPU. A whole lot of numbers on the board. And then they also announced that it's coming to their MacBook Air, their MacBook Pro, and a new updated Mac Mini. What are your thoughts on the M1 chip and on the entire event? Two things. One, I must be the worst Apple hater on the planet <laughs> because I'm supposed to be, you know, the hate on these things. But for the most part, I thought that this conference was amazing. Obviously, Apple is always well shot. But um, I, I really liked a lot of the stuff that they mentioned. But two, what really annoyed me, and it's funny, I still ended with a positive opinion on M1 despite this, is all their comparisons were absolutely useless. <laughs> like They compared better than the leading selling laptop, which there's no specs for the laptop that they're comparing it to, or better than you know the chip from Intel, but they're not saying what chip from Intel they're comparing to. Like... There's no clock speeds, no real kind of substance to go over all of their advertising material. That being said, um, what uh, we, we talked about last podcast about, you know, you kind of need to do something special with these chips to, to make them seem like they're actually useful. And a couple of things that I mentioned there were actually talked about in this conference. So one of them was the fact that through Rosetta, uh, Emulating legacy apps was going to have little to no, depending on the app, would have little to no impact on performance, um, which I thought was huge. That was something that needed to be done in order for this to be really successful so that you're not completely reliant on just the new ARM-based apps. And the second thing was that ARM-based apps are going to perform so much better than you know any Mac has done before it, but also... A big thing that I was really excited about is the ability to run iOS apps natively, mm -hmm. um, which I think is going to be huge for Mac. The App Store is the biggest app store there is in, in all of mobile computing. And to have that available on your mobile laptop um, is, is going to be huge. And I think that's going to be a huge step forward for Apple. So, yeah, overall, I think the, the conference was amazing. I think these chips are going to be really, really powerful and really cool um, once they're, they're out uh, in full-fledged force. Um, but, yeah, I, I think their their marketing was a little bit shady, and, and I kind of can't wait for actual concrete numbers to come out from reviews so we can see exactly how well these things perform. Uh, but how about you? Uh, what do you think about the uh, conference? Uh, no, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Obviously, this was shot amazingly. They had yeah. all kinds of, like, a tour of the Apple campus, I think they open up with like the glass sliding doors opening into yeah. like the walls slid away into their cafeteria, it looks like, which is kind of like creepy to see empty, but still cool nonetheless. Um, yeah, they had a lot of great numbers, um, you know, like a three times improvement in this and graphics process five times faster. But like you said, they're not saying what they compare it to right they said where's the quote this is the world's best cpu performance per watt and it's like what are you comparing that to is it like to the 
10th generation i9 or are you comparing that to like amd's like ryzen 6000s like it's the best compared to anything and like yeah and then best are you talking about like it takes up the least amount of energy or it's creating the best results with that type of energy and i said oh you know this is compared to top selling pc desktop in price you know this is you know one tenth the size and yet five times faster it's like what's the top selling pc desktop yeah like who are you com- it'd be nice if they had a website like this is everyone that we compared to and this is how we actually stack up to them because a lot of times if you're saying laptops for instance like compared to the best selling laptop pc laptop well probably the best selling pc laptop doesn't have the best performance yeah right like 300 exactly so obviously buying a 300 laptop it's not going to perform as well as like a 1200 macbook that being said though there's a lot of impressive numbers i guess let's i'll get the negatives out of the way the macbook air which is the first one they showed the first uh computer they showed off the m1 chip in they mentioned how i guess it's so power efficient that they decided to take the fan out i'm like why would you take the fan out of a laptop like that doesn't make any like yes it's it could be more thermal efficient but at the end of the day the cooler your chip and your system runs the better it's going to perform so it's like they took it out and they're like oh it's completely silent like it's nuts that we could take the fan out. I'm like, it's nuts that you would take the fan out. Like, why would you do that? We mentioned before kind of how there was no design change, really, right? Yeah. This would have been a great opportunity to say, we have this new chip. Here's a brand new design for the Mac. And they took the M1 and they put it in their MacBook Pro. Yeah, you can get 20 hours of video playback, which is a ridiculous number that's a huge improvement yeah just swapping out chips getting that much improvement but it's also kind of like they didn't change the heat management in the macbook air which i think it was linus linus tech tips did a video about the the recent design for the macbooks and their thermal regulation is horrible they don't really funnel heat away from the cpu it's just a fan just kind of stuck in a terrible place So it would have been great to say like, hey, we stuck this chip in. We got 20 hours of video playback, but we also redesigned this MacBook thermally. So now you have 25 hours of video playback. But maybe they're waiting to do that at another point. I guess another negative thing for the Mac Mini, or not even for the Mac Mini, just for the M1 chip in general, it's all integrated right this is now a system on a chip so instead of having your cpu here and your gpu and then your ram here it's all integrated into one chip which is part of part of the reason why they say it's so efficient and it's so fast but it's also because it's now integrated you can't upgrade things later now for the macbook air and the macbook pro for years you haven't been able to upgrade let's say your RAM after buying it. It's kind of been whatever you bought has been this, like, that's what it is for the life of the system. But, and obviously they haven't done this yet, when it comes to, let's say, the iMacs or the Mac Pros, the towers, how are they going to go around this, right? Because if you have a professional workstation that you're using to edit, I don't know, like season four or five of Stranger Things, if you want to upgrade the RAM, and it's an SOC and it's built onto the M1 chip. How are they going to work around that? Because I, I can't imagine they release a Mac Pro where you can't later upgrade the RAM. So I'm assuming there will be some other version of this, of their M chip for that. But it's kind of, let's say for the Mac Mini, right? If you buy the Mac Mini, it's either 8 gigs or 16 gigs of RAM. Once you buy that, that's it you can't you know a year down the line man i need to upgrade this even though it's it's a mac mini there's not much room for upgrading anyways but it's kind of i don't know it's kind of worrying to me that there's so much built into this and then not not even to mention the gpu right obviously you're not 
upgrading your GPU on a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro, but I want to see what they do with their actual dedicated desktops in terms of how these M-series chips work with upgrades in the future. Another thing, you can still get your, at least for a MacBook Pro, you can still get an Intel-based MacBook Pro. For the new M1-based MacBook Pro, it only comes with two USB Type-C ports. That's it. For the MacBook Pros that are, that are based off of Intel, you have the option to get, I guess, your entry-level one with two USB Type-C ports or your, I guess, top-level one with four USB Type-C ports. And I think you kind of... I think we may have talked about this before, right? Because there's such a limitation in terms of how much USB types or how much how many USB ports there are, is this a limitation with the M1 chip where it can only handle this much bandwidth? In the future, I'm assuming they're going to release a chip or release a MacBook Pro or something with more functionality to it. But is it right now we're seeing sort of a limitation in what these chips can actually handle? Yeah, I, I definitely think like that is a potential. Like, and I think that's why they chose these three devices um, in terms of the MacBook Air, the base level MacBook Pro, and the Mac Mini, is that those are the devices that you could get away with having um, a limited port selection. Which, I, I and I, I remember we spoke about this. I really think that that could potentially be a, a limit of the M1 chip. Um, where maybe it doesn't have enough PCI Express lanes to handle more than two Thunderbolt ports. Um, because the, the thing with these, with these uh, machines is that those ports aren't just regular USB 3 ports or USB, well, USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4 kind of share uh, a design spec. But essentially, in order to run those ports, you need a certain amount of bandwidth, you need a certain amount of PCI Express lanes um, to, heading directly to the processor. Um, to kind of have that process work. And the, the interesting thing is that Thunderbolt is an Intel technology. It's based off of Intel technology called Lightpeak, which I remember when Apple was initially thinking about going into their own chips. That was something that I had a question about. Of I think we even spoke about this on the podcast, about how uh, USB 4 was coming in to kind of replace Thunderbolt um, by being a universal standard that can work across multiple products and not just Intel-based. Now Thunderbolt is open. Um, you know, it's not. You don't need to pay licensing fees for it anymore. Um, and yeah, so it, it's something like yes, Apple can still use this technology with their own chips, but can their chips, as they stand right now, support um, those ports the same way that they that the Intel chips can? Which yeah, it's, it's going to be something that we have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, so you've had like, and you mentioned a lot of those those problems that you've had with the with the uh, event. I agree with them a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I had those those same kind of uh, complaints and those same kind of issues. But I think both of us, at the end of the day, there there's a lot to there's a lot to look forward to with these chips. Like, there's a lot of uh, really interesting things that are happening. You mentioned the battery life um, through. What they've said, it seems like these will also be really fast. Um, but the interesting thing about the fans, so the uh, what is the what is the iPad Air Mac, uh, the MacBook Air, um, it doesn't have a fan, and it makes me wonder because all three of these devices at three different price points are using the exact same chip. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder then maybe what they're doing with the MacBook Air is saying, oh yeah, there's no fan. But that's their way of kind of downclocking it, making it less of a, you know, cutting. I think one of the ideas is they're cutting off one of the GPU processors and stuff like that, making it produce less heat so it doesn't perform as well. Um, and it could be just a situation where when they're binning these chips, you know, the ones that are the best are going to the, the MacBook Pros um, where they can handle more of that thermal output and then have a fan attached to it so it will perform better. But then the... Uh, MacBook Air isn't going to perform as well, even though it's using the same chip, just because it doesn't, it can't reach the same thermal level mm-hmm. as the MacBook Pro's version can. So it kind of is their way of naturally, kind of creating a differentiation between 
those models without having to make separate chips for each one. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's going to be a, a wait-and-see approach, but it does seem interesting on their part, part that, you know, in the past they used to use completely different chips for those machines. Now they're using the same chip, but one can just hit a higher heat output um, and can probably work a little bit faster than another one. Yeah, another question I had too about this, right? When you're, if you're on the Apple website and you're looking to, let's say, I guess, spec out your MacBook Pro with the Intel versions, right? There's different processing levels. You can get, I think, from like an i5 to an i9. Right now, it's just the M1. I'm sure in the future, there will be more options, but it's kind of, it's different in the sense that with Intel, you can choose your price, right? You can choose how how much you or how well you want your MacBook Pro to perform. With the M1, it's almost like, well, this is it. This is your only option, at least for right now, right? And even that being said, when I was talking about RAM, right, the M1 chip maxes out at 16 gigs, whether it's the, I think the MacBook Air you can get with 16 gigs, but MacBook Pro, Mac mini 16 gigs is the max with intel i think you can get up to like 32 or 64 gigs so it's kind of like if you are like a quote-unquote pro and you want an m1 chip to work with right now it's kind of like there's a limitation to what you can do with it and we really won't know how these chips perform until you know people get their hands on them and they do reviews and we get benchmarks for them maybe what they're saying is hey this processor with 16 gigs can outperform an Intel i9 10th generation with 32 gigs. So that's why we're only offering 16 gigs because you don't like the extra RAM is redundant, even though it's never really redundant. But that being said, we won't really know until people actually start reviewing them. I think that's that's the perfect point. Like this conference was really impressive. The stats that they were throwing out there, especially the ones that, that were actually like visible, like the battery life, mm-hmm. look very promising. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this is exciting. This is Apple do, doing what they do. Um, we've seen this in the iPhones. You know, they make the fastest I- uh, phones on the planet with their, with their own Apple chips. Maybe they can do the same thing with, with laptops and desktops. And it's going to be that thing where it's like, yeah, can they do it? And if they can, does it actually work? And th- that's that's going to be the the biggest question to have is like, okay, you can say it's three times faster. So if I get this M1 MacBook Pro, is it going to compete with my i9 MacBook Pro? Um, and if I have 16 gigabytes of RAM, is that going to be enough for me to do my professional work? Um, in terms of video editing and, um, you know, 3D modeling and programming and all that stuff that I would have normally done and I need a certain amount of resources to do, can this keep up even with its limited resources? And to be honest, I think that it will. Um, But I think the reason why they chose these three machines is that they're probably not ready. And I would imagine that maybe when the, the iMacs and the MacBook Pro 16 comes out, it might not even be using that one. It might be using an M2 or an M3 or something like that. They might even have two different chips. At that M1X. M1X or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I can completely see that they chose these three machines because these are the machines that, despite what a lot of people said in that conference of, like, all these creators and be like, yeah, this allows me to make all this cool stuff. And I would imagine that these machines are for the students and, you know, you know people who just need to do light work but are still going to be very powerful for that. And then going forward, like they said, this could take a few years for them to completely change over their entire lineup. Um, we're going to start seeing those more powerful uh, machines come out. And when it comes to the the iMac Pro um, or the Mac Pro, the, the, the full tower that they have, I can see a world where that stays on x86 Intel architecture for the foreseeable future just because... The idea of needing to swap out parts and having a lot of expre- uh, PCI Express lanes for uh, graphics processors and 
you know, uh, storage and all that stuff, things that need to be swapped in and out depending on the type of work that you need to do. Uh, I think that could be something that could be a limitation of not just Apple's processors, but ARM in general um, uh, on that architecture. I think that just could just be a limitation of that architecture where that's not a possibility, at least not right now. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that Intel could be a part of Apple's future going forward, but their high volume machines um, is going to be uh, shifting over to Apple Silicon, which is going to be, I think, a good thing for them because that will only grow their their computer market. Because if you're in a market where you can say, okay, I can get an iPad, I have an iPad, but I want to update it. I want to get a new iPad. I haven't bought a laptop in a long time because I never really needed one. I can do everything that I could do on my iPad, but then also have uh, a laptop with a keyboard attached and, and, and stuff like that with the future of MacBooks, which I think is where Apple is going. I think that's going to be really exciting. And uh, I could definitely see Mac becoming a huge part of Apple's business going forward. Now, you saw the event. You saw these three products. I guess which of these three products interests you the most? It's hard for me to say. Like, I would like to say the Mac Mini, but the problem with the Mac Mini is that in their 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 advertising, they kept on showing the seven hundred dollar machine with a four thousand dollar <laughs> monitor, <laughs> which looked really strange. So, like right now, between those three devices, I don't think I'm really into any of them. The one thing I would be really interested in is if they took that Apple Pro XDR display design. <laughs> Made it touchscreen and put an iMac in there. Um, <laughs> that would be the machine for me. And I'm th- I honestly still believe that they will do it. But these three machines, uh, I, I think they haven't really reached me yet. They're just because, one, the price is really high for them. Um, and two, right now, they're not offering anything vastly different than what the Intel MacBooks did. And I, I strongly believe that adding touchscreens to these machines and a little bit of a better design is going to make a huge difference uh, going forward. How about you? Have you seen any of these? I know you're in the market for a new computer. Did any of these kind of set off that light bulb to say, okay, yeah, let me get that one? Uh, so definitely if they take the, like you said, the XDR display, touchscreen, that would be that would be the thing I'm most interested in. Out of these three, definitely the Mac Mini is the most interesting out of these three, right? It's the least expensive one. And it's also, I'm at a point right now where I don't need a laptop. I don't need to be portable, right? I'm not a student anymore where it's I'm working in the library and then I got to take notes in class and then I'm back home. I'm usually either at work or I'm at home editing videos in the podcast so out of those three the one that makes the most sense to me right now is a mac mini but it being an apple device it is more expensive than it should be for the hardware right part of what you're buying is the brand recognition of apple now they've made a lot of claims i guess about what these devices what the m1 chip can do I'll have to wait to see when the reviews come out and the benchmarks come out. Like, okay, is this actually going to outperform the Intel-based Macs? Is this actually going to outperform other Intel-based like Windows PCs? Yeah. Because like you said, I'm in the market. So when, when those come out, I'm going to have to take a serious look to see what, what the comparison is and if it makes sense for me. Because right now, most of what I use is Apple's first-party apps, right? Yeah. I use Apple Notes a ton. I use iMovie a ton. I use GarageBand a ton. So it's kind of like compatibility isn't going to really be a concern for me if I switch over to M1 because at least right now, I'm not using, I guess, third-party apps. I'm using Apple's first-party apps, which they're definitely going to make sure work for the M1 chips. So that really isn't an issue for me. It's really going to be, okay, in terms of performance, is this is this going to be worth the money for me? That's really what I'm going to have to take a look at. 
And I think that's that's the perfect point as to why, and probably for the first time in a long time, the Mac Mini is actually exciting. Is that this could potentially be the best performing of these three machines that they announced, and it's also the cheapest. Mm-hmm. So you know, if the Mac Mini can compete with a Core i nine um, with better graphics, um, then then what's available even in the PC market right now for the same price? Then yeah, I, I would definitely say. Apple has a win on their hands, even more so than the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, um, just because the price is right on that. But yeah, it's going to be a wait and see kind of a thing. And I, I'm actually kind of excited for it. It's rare that I'm excited for new Apple products. Cause I'm not the biggest Apple fan. But um, I'm actually excited about this one. I want to see what people say, how well these things perform. And as someone who's never used a Mac, never even had the interest in buying a Mac, they were just always too expensive. That future of an iMac with a touchscreen that can use iOS apps. And Apple would, Pencil. And Apple Pencil, um, even though I do have some issues with the Apple Pencil. <laughs> um, would actually be a huge thing to, to get me to maybe one day switch from a PC to an, to an iMac. Um, because that's one thing that, that Windows machines just haven't done well yet um, in terms of ARM-based machines that are touchscreen, um, and and have the power, so yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think what they're doing here is exciting. We have to wait and see to see if it actually pays off. But if it does, it could be a huge shift in terms of you know computers in general, um, because it, it will be a trend. It will be a trend where we'll start seeing more and more companies switch over to ARM-based uh, processors. Uh, any closing statements? Um, well, uh, I will say, you know, you got your chance to get your hands on the PS5. Definitely, we'll we'll check back in with that, see how how uh, how that goes. Hopefully, you know, it'll be very fun, and you know, see what kind of new games come out. And then, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll get an Xbox Series X, and then we can compare Xbox <laughs> the two. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm editing the unboxing video. If you guys like the conversation here. You know, head on over to YouTube. Check out my YouTube page. I'll post a link in the description. Uh, Emmanuel hyphen C. It's a little plug at the end. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Fun conversation. Take it easy, everyone, in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.